0: another thrilling adventure of Superman. This is episode 18, and as always, I am your host, Michael Bradley. This episode, we will be looking at the fifth storyline from the Superman Daily Newspaper Strip. As well, later on in the show, I will present a spotlight on one of the first men to work on Superman, other than his creators, Paul Loretta. So we are 18 episodes in, which I guess means the show is officially an adult now. Uh, But seriously, This episode marks the beginning of the fifth month for the show, and while that's not a huge milestone or anything, it is quite a lot farther than I would have thought I've gotten, you know, had you told me two years ago that I'd be doing a podcast someday. But I've been looking down the road a little bit, sort of mapping out episodes for the next few months and and making plans. It won't be very long before the Sunday newspaper strip starts up for the show, and I've read very few of those, and as much as I'm enjoying the Daily Strip, I'm really looking forward to getting into the Sunday ones. As well, the radio show will be here before too long, and I am a huge fan of the earliest episodes of the radio show, and I just really can't wait to get into those. Um, they're they're fantastic, to be blunt, and they present kind of a different take on the mythology than we've seen in the comics. Um, it's it's still obviously Superman but it's as different as say the comic books and the Christopher Reeve movies you know it's just a a different version of the origin so I'm really jazzed to get into those I've also got some other really exciting things in the works for the show uh, some new features here and there and some surprises along the way I'm reluctant to say much more because I'm still ironing out the details about a lot of it but when they come around I hope you'll enjoy them And speaking of things that you might enjoy, I want to direct your attention to the newest podcast on the block, The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast. The podcast is hosted by two guys whose names will probably be familiar to regular listeners of this show, Michael Kaiser, who is also my co-host over on Legends of the Batman, and John M. Wilson of Amazing Spider-Man Classics and Golden Age Superman. You can find the show at themightyshield.com. Michael and John are planning on going through every Captain America story they can find. From what they said in their first episode, they plan on going through Cap's Golden Age stories and his Silver Age stories in tandem, so they'll be covering an issue from each era each episode, which is a really great idea because it'll let them explore the character's formative years alongside the more dynamic and interesting Silver Age stuff. The first episode came out last week, and it's really, really entertaining. In that episode, they talked about the creation of Captain America, then went on to the stories in Cap's first appearance from Captain America Comics number 1 in 1941. And I'm more familiar with Cap's post-Golden Age stories, really the more modern stuff, I guess you would say. So I'm really looking forward to future episodes and going through stories that I haven't read. But if you like seeing Nazis get punched in the face, and really people, who doesn't like seeing Nazis get punched in the face? I highly encourage you to check out their show. Once again, the URL is themightyshield.com.
2: Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at
0: com. So, like I said, this episode we're back in the newspapers for Superman's latest adventure. The fifth storyline from the Superman Daily Newspaper strip ran from April 3rd to April 29th, 1939. It was strips 67 to 90, comprising 24 strips in all, which was the same length as the Larry Trent story from episode 15. That puts the story starting a day before the likely release of Action Comics number 12 and ending a day after the release of the World's Fair comic we're going to look at next episode and about three days before the release of Action Comics number 13. So again, readers at the time more or less got a full superman story in the newspapers in between comic issues can you imagine those readers in 1939 that were lucky enough to be able to read the comics and the newspaper strip it must have been a very exciting time i mean there were no there weren't long boxes full of back issues then there weren't trade paperbacks on the shelf certainly not 70 years worth of stories that have been you know that we have now Imagine the long wait between comics and the excitement of grabbing that comics page of the paper each day for the latest tidbit of a story featuring your favorite hero. And it's, it can be hard to imagine being so anxious for, you know, just three or four panels of a story, but they were different times. Um, when this story was colored and reprinted in the comics, it was titled Superman and the Skyscrapers. But the Kitchen Sink reprint volumes have given this story the much more dramatic title of Skyscraper of Death. Our story begins with an article with a Clark Kent byline reporting that for the fifth day in a row, an employee of Bruce Constructions, Inc. has fallen from the high steel to a grisly death. Remaining workers at the Atlas Building are becoming apprehensive, fearing the building is somehow cursed or jinxed, and some of the workers are even walking off the job to avoid becoming the next victim. In Clark Kent's apartment, Superman suits up to investigate, then leaps out the window and heads towards the scene. Superman speeds through the night, finally landing at the construction site high atop a girder. Superman starts to examine the structure but is interrupted when his super hearing picks up the sound of the elevator rising. Superman hides himself by hanging from a nearby girder and watches as the elevator doors open to reveal the site's night watchman. The watchman eases out onto one of the girders and sits down. He then withdraws a coping saw from a leather satchel and begins to saw through the girder, snickering that tomorrow it will be the scene of another accident. After cutting near completely through the support beam, the watchman begins making his way back down the beam of steel, only to be confronted by a certain man of steel. The Watchman demands to know who Superman is and how he got onto the site, but Superman is stoic and merely advances towards the Watchman with a menacing stare. The Watchman warns him to stay back, but Superman pushes forward. Afraid, the Watchman pulls the pistol and fires several shots point-blank, only to watch the bullets bounce off Superman's chest. Seeing that the gun is pretty much useless against Superman, the Watchman tries to run, but steps on the sabotaged beam, and it gives way which causes the watchman to fall towards the ground below. Superman dives off the high steel in an attempt to save the saboteur. The two plummet downward, and Superman inches closer and closer, finally able to snag the man's heel, but only mere feet before the man hits the ground. With microseconds before the guy meets a painful end, Superman spins and slingshots him, sending the guy rocketing upward. Superman slams into the ground, sending chunks of concrete flying, but is unhurt thanks to his powerful strength. Superman is able to quickly spin again and catch the man as he falls back down. (sighs) What a scene. I think that's the most dramatic rescue we've seen Superman make so far. If you don't have the strips in front of you, the scene takes up two full strips, and the split comes right as the guy is inches from the ground. Superman's got a hold of his ankle, and the watchman's about to hit the ground, Easily one of the best cliffhangers in the Strip so far. So, understandably, the Watchman has passed out in all this commotion. And I really can't say that I blame him at that. But once back on the ground and settled, Superman waits for the guy to wake up. And once he does, Superman demands to know why he was causing the deadly accident. The Watchman tells him that he was only following orders of a gang that he belongs to. Superman pushes him harder, asking what gang it is. And finally, the Watchman blurts out that it's Butch Grogan's gang, just before his heart gives out from the excitement. But Superman doesn't take long to mourn the departed, and takes his new information and sets out to find Grogan. So, he goes to Grogan's house, and I'm not really sure how he found the house, but maybe he just looked it up in the phone book. Anyway, he goes to Grogan's house, and just goes up and knocks on the front door. A man answers the door, but when Superman tells him that he wants to see Grogan, the guy snaps that he's not home and slams the door. I think we've been through enough of these stories by now to know how Superman handles this type of situation, right? Superman naturally doesn't take too kind to that and knocks in the front door. He charges after the guy, telling him again that he wants to see Grogan. As Superman grabs him by the throat... The guy says again that Grogan's not there, so Superman searches the place, carrying the guy around with him, and finds that it actually is empty. But still not satisfied, he throws the guy into a nearby chair and demands to know where Grogan went. The guy pleads with Superman, saying that he doesn't know. But Superman says that he has ways of making people talk, and grabs the guy by the ankle, dragging him outside. Once back outside, Superman grabs the guy's arm and says that he's got one more chance to reveal Grogan's whereabouts. But the guy, who is cowering in fear at this point, says he really doesn't know. So Superman grabs him, tells him they're going to play catch, and he's the ball. He then tosses the guy straight up in the air, a good 50 feet or more. Since even in comics, what goes up must come down, the guy shortly plummets back downward. Superman catches him, and asks him if he's ready to talk. And at this point, the guy is just freaking out, begging and pleading with Superman, saying that he really doesn't know. So Superman tosses him skyward once more. After catching him a second time, the guy finally relents, and he's nearly about to reveal Grogan's location, when suddenly a gun cocks. It's Grogan himself, in the flesh, wanting to know why Superman is so hot to find him. Superman tells him to put the gun away, but Grogan threatens to blow Superman's head off. Before Grogan can pull the trigger, Superman swipes the gun from his hand and crushes it like a tin can. He then says he'll do the same to Grogan if Grogan doesn't get busy telling him what he wants to know. Meanwhile, Grogan's henchman grabs a conveniently nearby club and sneaks up behind Superman. He swings the club for all he's worth at Superman's noggin, but the club bounces off the Man of Steel's head and clocks the thug, knocking him unconscious. Or dead. But we'll go with unconscious. No, yeah, it says... Yeah, it says it knocks him out. So, yeah, unconscious. So anyway, Superman grabs Grogan and bounds off into the night, finally arriving at the construction site. He points out the corpse of the night watchman and tells Grogan that before expiring, the watchman-fingered Grogan as hiring him to do the sabotage of the worksite. Grogan tells Superman that he's crazy, but Superman tells him that he's the crazy one if he thinks he can lie, and threatens to crush Grogan's arm like he did the gun earlier if he doesn't start talking. Grogan reveals that he himself was hired by Nat Grayson, the president of Acme Construction. And that's Acme Construction, a K-M-E, not a C-M-E, and not to be confused with Acme Corporation, Renowned for their making and selling of fine products such as inflatable boulders, jet-powered rocket sleds, and iron birdseed. Grogan says Grayson hired him to interrupt the building's construction by any means. If Bruce Construction can't finish the job within the time required by their contract, it will devastate the company, allowing Acme to become top dog. Suddenly, a police officer interrupts Superman and Grogan's discussion. Both men flee as the officer fires. Later, uh, Grogan calls Grayson and warns him that a guy with the strength of 50 elephants is coming after him. As Grogan hangs up the phone, he is confronted again by the officer who, it seems, had followed him. Grogan tries to run, but the officer fires, this time hitting his mark, and Grogan's days of villainy come to a swift end. Meanwhile, Superman speeds towards Grayson's, ready to met out some Kryptonian-style justice for the deaths of the innocent men. Grayson slips into a specially constructed safe room, and when Superman enters Grayson's house, by climbing through the window, mind you, not smashing through the wall like he did the radio station in last episode's story, but anyway, when he enters the residence, he's confronted by a voice booming from a speaker, warning him to leave immediately or die. From the security of his metal room, Grayson mocks Superman, saying that he'll never get through the metal walls. He then again warns Superman that he'll blast him to smithereenies and tells him that he's planted bombs throughout the house, as well as photoelectric cells that will alert him to Superman's position. Superman ignores Grayson's threat and charges down the hall, marching through a series of explosions and avoiding the worst of them through some agile leaps. He finally reaches Grayson's safe room and grabs the giant steel door to the room and begins ripping it off its hinges. Grayson panics and flips a switch, setting off one more huge explosion which rocks the house. But Superman is unfazed by the blast and breaks through the steel barrier and dives at Grayson's throat. While strangling Grayson, Superman demands that he phone the police and give a full confession for his part in the deaths of the men at the Atlas building or that choking him won't be the only thing that Superman does. Since he's no fool, Grayson grabs the phone and calls the police. As the sirens approach, Superman slips out the window with a final warning that he'll return if Grayson has a change of heart about the whole confession thing. The officers arrive, and Grayson blurts out that he was responsible for the deaths of the workers and begs to be arrested, to which the officers happily oblige. With his work done... Superman heads off into the sunset. Sometime later, a headline in the Daily Star with a Clark Kent byline reads that Grayson has been found guilty and sentenced to die in the chair. The editor congratulates Clark on his coverage of the trial, but asks how he was able to get news of the arrest before the other papers, to which Clark replies it was just pure luck. And a little help from Superman, of course. What a great story. I had some issues with the last storyline from the dailies, but Siegel is still just swinging for the fences on these. Like the second storyline, Siegel starts things off with a news article, filling us in on you know backgr- the background of things without a lot of tedious exposition and allowing Superman to jump right into action. This seems to be a technique that Siegel is only using in the daily strip. Even though he and Schuster had originally envisioned Superman as a newspaper strip, Siegel's been writing comics for close to five years at this point. So the daily strips are really a new medium for him. And even though it's similar, the daily strips require a, different, a slightly different form of storytelling. And it makes me wonder if Siegel didn't feel a bit squeezed by the different format he certainly had more room to tell bigger stories uh, like i mentioned before no longer being constricted to 13 pages but he had to do so in three or four panel chunks and i can see how that might make a writer feel a bit claustrophobic whatever it is it's actually helping his stories i think because there've been a lot the stories have just been a lot tighter and the action is a lot more intense and a lot more dramatic Uh, Like the Fantastic Save where Superman rescues the Watchman when he falls from the high steel. That was a great sequence and one of the most dynamic things that we've seen in any Superman story so far. And I can't imagine that playing out quite like it did had it been in the comics. This story also shows us inching closer to more supervillain type characters. Superman is still facing off against thugs and corrupt businessmen here. But Grayson's safe room, communicating through the speaker, the bombs in the hallway, etc., they're all very early versions of the more elaborate death traps we'll see villains throwing at Superman eventually. And actually, we're not too far away from the debut of Superman's first true supervillain. So that's great, because I'm really looking forward to more variety in the villains. And even though I know it's going to be a while before we get to a, a consistent line of the comic booky villains, just having something to break up the monotony of corrupt businessman after corrupt businessman will really help the stories out, I think. Speaking of variety, this story is a good example of the odd nature of Superman's giddiness in the story from last episode. In this storyline, we've got Superman tearing through things harassing the villains, all the same stuff we had in the last storyline, but here, he's not taking such almost sadistic pleasure in it. I mean, contrast the story that we looked at last episode with this story. While he's clearly not reluctant to use a little force, he's not relishing in it either. And I'm much more comfortable with this type of portrayal, of the two options anyway, Obviously, this hardcore Superman is still very much an extreme of how I prefer to see the modern Superman portrayed, but given the times these were created, it's more acceptable. Uh, but still, very different from the Superman we saw in Action Comics number 12. I gotta say though, Superman repeatedly tossing Butch Grogan's thug into the air and catching him until he talks, it makes me laugh every time. And it reminds me of a scene in one of the early episodes of the radio show, which, again, we'll be getting to really soon. Hooray! But it reminds me of a scene where Superman confronts a guy and he threatens to, quote, bounce him off the sidewalk if, if he talks. And Bud Collier's delivery of that line is, is, is just great. Um, but we can talk about that more, you know, when we get there. The art in the strips comprising this story is simply awesome. The first quarter of the story or so takes place outside and at night, with, only, with the only light source being a lantern that's carried by the night watchman. So there's lots of shadows and blacks and stark contrast with the lighting. I think I've said this before, but I really like Schuster's art in black and white, especially when the inking is good, as it has been on these strips. It just, it makes his work really pop. The art all the way through is just really dynamic. The scene with Superman catching the Watchman, and the later scene of Superman tossing the thug into the air, and, and then even later with him barreling down the hall through, the, through all the explosions, it's just fantastic stuff. We're also getting more consistency in the size of Superman's S-shield this time. And it's a bit more stylized as well. Size-wise, at this point, it's taking up uh, about a third of his chest, which is, you know, slightly larger than it was originally. Overall, both here and in the comics, they seem to be more consistent with remembering to draw the shield, too, though they still miss it from time to time. It seems at least once or twice per story. And we've got a new addition to the costume with this story. For the first time, Superman's got the S-shield on his cape, Well, in some panels. (laughs) Um, It's not there in every panel uh, where you see the back of Superman's cape, but we're going to see inconsistency in that for quite a while, much like it takes a bit longer for the S on the front to be consistent. But it is there for the first time in the second strip of the storyline from April 4th, so that's a fairly significant historical first. The final panel of The Last Strip is an ad promoting that a new thrilling adventure of Superman starts on Monday. All of the stories uh, that we've covered so far have run full weeks, which means that new stories have always started on Monday. Many of the storylines over the course of the series were that way. Not all of them, but a majority. Since The Daily Strip didn't run on Sunday, obviously, I guess it was just easier for the new stories to regularly start on Mondays, so to minimize the, the you know, the number of breaks in each storyline. This story was reprinted in the first dailies volume from Kitchen Sink, as well. Like the last couple newspaper stories, it was colored and reprinted in the comics as part of, of Superman number two. Then that colorized version was reprinted in Superman Archives Volume One. And Superman Chronicles Volume Two. And as always, this storyline is available for free at DC site, and you can find a link for that in the show notes at greatcrypton.com.
2: Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast.
1: Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic.
2: Like what?
1: Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am
2: Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis
1: to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman Wait,
2: wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this.
1: I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital.
2: Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986.
1: And Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published, and what else was going on in the DC Universe.
2: The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com.
1: From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
2: So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Exile, Panic in the sky, doomsday, the marriage, and beyond,
1: and right into the show. It from crisis to crisis at gmail.com, and hear it read on the air. Eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing.
2: Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention.
0: Superman a name known throughout the world to all ages, races, creeds, and colors. But what about those behind the shield? Men and women who for over 75 years have given us a legend. Are their stories. So, this time out, the spotlight is getting shown on one of Superman's earliest artists. Paul J. Loretta was born December 28, 1917. He was one of the earliest artists to assist Joe Schuster with the art on Superman comic stories. Loretta, who primarily did inking, backgrounds, and lettering, started working on Superman stories as early as Action Comics No. 6. Besides being one of the earliest assistants to Schuster, Loretta is also noted for being credited with inking the very first Superman cover that was penciled by longtime Superman artist Wayne Boring. That cover, Superman No. 5 from 1940, shows Superman ripping a set of steel bars from the side of a building, freeing what is presumably a pair of hostages. Loretta attended the Art Institute of New York. Like Schuster himself, Loretta appears to have been influenced by artists like cartoonist Roy Crane. Loretta's work, however, typically had more detail and finer lines in the figures, which gave them more angular features. His lettering is also distinctive from Schuster's in that it is a blockier form of lettering and overall more consistent. Aside from his work on Superman, where he only worked on the artistic side of things, Loretta handled more in the creation of features for other books. Among these was King Carter, which first appeared in More Fun Comics number 49 in early 1940. King Carter is a two-fisted oil man with a penchant for exploring and globe-trotting adventures, ever aided by his friend and pilot, Red Rogers. The King Carter Strip ran for six issues before being replaced with Dr. Fate in issue number 55. Loretta is credited with art for all six, and is also credited with writing at least the first three stories. Outside of D.C., he is credited with writing and illustrating at least two Rocky Baird stories in the pages of Keen Detective Funnies for Centaur Comics in late 1938. But perhaps his most well-known work outside of Superman is The American Ace, a feature written and drawn by Loretta that first appeared in Motion Picture Funnies Weekly number 1 from First Funnies, Inc. Motion Picture Funnies Weekly was a 36-page black-and-white comic book that was intended to be a free giveaway in movie theaters. The idea never really took off, and only a few of the first issue were printed. But Loretta would later resurrect the character in late 1939, in the pages of issues 2 and 3 of Marvel Mystery Comics, two of the earliest books published by Martin Goodman's Timely Comics, which is a precursor to today's Marvel Comics. The American ace was Perry Webb, an American mining engineer who traveled the world seeking rare gems and minerals. Webb, who was also a highly skilled aviator, becomes embroiled in a war between the European nations of Etania and Castile Dior. The strip only ran in two issues of Marvel Mystery Comics, despite the second installment promising more adventures from the character in the next issue. It may have been dropped for being too political at a time when World War II was just beginning to rumble through Europe. However, Loretta later continued the story, changing the character's name to Perry Wade in the strip Lieutenant Lank, The Robin Hood of Wartime. This strip was published in The Arrow No. 2 from Centaur Comics in the fall of 1940, and despite once again promising more adventures in the next issue, the strip was again canceled and never published again. Loretta continued working with the Schuster shop and occasional other comics work for various publishers until 1941, when it seems he left the industry entirely. Loretta served in the United States Army Air Corps during World War II, According to Jerry Bale's Who's Who of American Comic Books, following the war, Loretta was an instructor at the Art Institute of New York from 1946 to 1948. Loretta worked for many years as a commercial artist for the Western Electric Company and Raytheon Corporation, and also provided artwork for the Merrimack Valley Credit Union in Massachusetts. He passed away on October 20, 2000 at the age of 82 following a long battle with cancer. Loretta was survived by his wife of 56 years, Viola, as well as a son and two daughters.
3: Over 70 years of history in film, television, radio, and comics. you a friend a hero sent to earth from a doomed planet to fight for truth justice in the american way a strange visitor from another planet superman this
2: looks like a job for superman
3: superman forever radio a look at superman's history in all meetings from comics to film to merchandise animation and beyond i'm your mild-mannered host j david leader Join me every Sunday and Thursday for a twice-weekly exodus into the world of Superman. Sundays, we explore a wide range of topics throughout the mythology, from the heights of Metropolis to the fields of Smallville and to the depths of the galaxy of Krypton. Plus, the latest news, gossip, and a look at Superman and other media. Then Thursdays, we review the Superman comics following the Infinite Crisis in 2006, all the way up to the present, month by month, issue by issue. And don't forget the SFR Daily Planet, a minicast giving you the scoop on the Man of Steel as it happens so visit supermanforever.com or itunes and of course the superman podcast network and begin the never-ending battle today superman forever radio all superman all the time
4: Superman Fan Podcast is turning over a new leaf for 2011. With the growth of Superman Podcasts in 2010 covering the Golden Age of Superman, the Bronze Age Superman, the post-crisis Superman, as well as current Superman stories, I noticed that there was not a podcast which covered the Silver Age of Superman stories. And since I began reading comic books In the early to mid-1960s, right in the middle of the Silver Age, I decided it would be a perfect opportunity for me to cover the Silver Age of Superman stories. One week I will cover the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and eventually Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week I will cover the Man of Steel's titles of Superman and Action Comics, as well as the Supergirl stories and I will alternate episodes in this fashion through 1970 when Mart Weisinger retired. The home website is at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com and expanded show notes are at supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com Your emails are welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com and I look forward to reading them. The Superman Fan Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at www.fortressofbailey2.com Superman Podcast Network, where you can find all of the podcasts covering every era of the Man of Steel. Episodes are also available on iTunes. So join me each week as we fly through the time barrier and journey through the Silver Age adventures of Superman.
0: Well, folks, that concludes another episode, and I thank you all for joining me. Next episode, we'll be looking at the Superman story from the 1939 New York World's Fair comic. If you have any comments, questions, or other feedback, feel free to email me at thrillingadventures at You can also stop by the show's website to post comments or leave feedback and see show notes for this and all episodes, and you'll find the site at greatkrypton.com. At the site, you'll also find the RSS feed and the iTunes link. If you subscribe via iTunes, please feel free to leave an iTunes review. It helps people find the show, and and it lets me know what you like or don't like about the show. At the site, you'll also find the link to the show's Facebook page. Become friends with the show on Facebook, and you can get updates when I post new episodes and other links of interest from time to time. The show is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com home to many outstanding Superman related podcasts and vidcasts and finally I invite you to check out Legends of the Batman another podcast that I do with my friend Michael Kaiser where we are covering everything Batman from the beginning And you can find that at batmanlegends.com as always Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, everyone, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.